Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Susan Stanfield, activist, author, founder of healthjusticetees.com, among a number of projects. Uh, welcome to Geopolitics and Empire, Susan. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. It's it's great to have you, uh, a freedom fighter, someone fighting against tyranny the, the past couple of years and getting flack uh, for it. And m maybe, you know, just to mention early on during COVID-1984, uh, as I call it, I did run across an article in the Canadian mainstream uh, media talking about, quote, a local woman comparing the COVID-19 vaccine rollout to the Holocaust, uh, end quote. And I had no idea that that was you at the time, but since 2020, uh, I also have been comparing COVID-1984 to Nazism. I have no qualms uh, in doing so. My grandfather had been a Nazi prisoner in Croatia during the war. The Nazis and myself as a former professor of history, I mean, if you understand history, um, the Nazis were the first to create a health pass, like the COVID health pass. Uh, IBM created the first paper computer for the Holocaust. Uh, IBM has been working on the on the COVID digital health passport. Um, I've interviewed Jewish historian Edwin Black. He points out a number of things how, uh, like, you know, Hitler got ideological and further support for his eugenics from the original American eugenicists, such as Rockefeller and others. Who's developing, developing today's COVID policies? The Rockefeller Foundation. So there's a clear line from back then to what's going on now, this eugenicist and so forth uh, project. And... Um, for me, it's a patent absurdity to say it's absurd to compare COVID uh, to the 1930s. Um, and so, you know, maybe if you could tell us about those early days uh, in, in COVID-1984, the 2020s, how you realized what was going on, uh, and in your mind, what is really going on with this biosecurity dystopia? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, God, it's so interesting, two and a half, almost three years later, explaining back to then, right? Well, I had... Um, I have a degree in international political systems. And so I knew about things like Western hegemony, Bretton Woods, and I have uh, many years working in financial advocacy around poverty. So I'd always, for many years, like almost 15 years, basically been around financial corruption, big systems, colonial systems living in Africa. So when I saw Justin Trudeau standing on my television with all these flags, talking about lockdowns and viruses i'm also a tv producer my first immediate thought was this is a racket it just it just seemed similar to all the things i had been studying for many years i didn't think of it any different i was very grateful to have that insight right i just a regular west side vancouver mom i happened to live an international life and it really saved me so from the beginning i knew and decided to pursue the theory that this was highly organized large scale financial crime and I've never wavered. And so that would inform a lot of the questions that we may talk about today. I see everything through that lens. And the more months go by, the more it just keeps coming true. A message from our sponsors. It seems we may be headed for the 1930s all over again. Financial collapse, tyranny, and world war. I've already secured multiple passports, offshore accounts, safe havens, and escaped to the sunnier shores of Mexico. My friend Michael Thorup of the Expat Money Show is hosting the Expat Money Summit with 30-plus experts that'll help you reclaim freedom in this fourth turning by moving your life and wealth offshore. Protect yourself and secure a new life abroad. Register now for free at expatmoneysummit.com or don't and enjoy surviving on insect protein while stuck in the metaverse. Since 2020, Ron Unz of Unz.com has argued the COVID outbreak was due to a U.S. biowarfare attack against China and Iran. 
Jeffrey Sachs, the Russian Ministry of Defense, and others are now making similar suggestions. Weeks before COVID appeared in Wuhan, a top U.S. biowarfare official ran the Crimson Contagion exercise on how to protect America against infection if a dangerous virus suddenly appeared in China. After COVID appeared in Wuhan, it jumped to Iran, infecting Iranian leadership only weeks after America had assassinated Iran's military commander. Iran publicly accused America of an illegal biowarfare attack and filed a complaint with the UN. Ron Unz has produced a free ebook and is available for interviews to further discuss this issue. And don't forget to fund Geopolitics and Empire. You can leave a donation, except on Patreon or PayPal, which have banned us, book a consultation, or become a member. Yeah, I mean, early on, people can go back to my interview, which I thought was fantastic seminal with Alex Craner. I think it was in 2020 or 2021. I can't recall. He's hedge fund. He's worked in hedge funds, and he's said that this is a, a this is the bankers are, are behind this uh, yes. COVID thing. And um, but it's what's going on now. This let's say COVID project seems to be a bit uh, different from what's been going on in the past. This is more like a it's a, a truly different in the sense it's a ma- it's on a massive scale it's total you know all countries all aspects of our life like you know in the past we've had the 2008 crisis um you kind of get get over that but this is like they're not leaving us uh alone they're they're in our face i mean there are great there's a meme going around with um sigourney weaver from uh, aliens where she's crouching and the alien is right in her face and it's like you know, we are Sigourney Weaver. We just want to be left alone, but Klaus Schwab won't leave us uh, uh, alone. So, I mean, w- w- if you can maybe expand on what, what you thought, what you think they're really um, up to with, with this, uh, uh, you know, uh, what did you call it, um, uh, with what they're doing? Yeah, okay. Well, okay, again, so I my early research showed that from the summer of 2019, when the banksters, I call them the banksters, had their central bankster meeting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, they discussed financial reset and how they were going to reset the global financial system because it's bankrupt. The, the Western version of it, right? Because then you live in different cultures. There's a whole other economy going on that has never been affected by COVID, right? It's the Western, the English speaking Western countries are the hardest hit. So now it's interesting because the alternative um, system is going forward fast and being built. I don't know if you're following BRICS and what has just happened. They've created, they've launched BRICS Plus. It's like Apple Plus. It's like all these other countries. They'll probably have 50 countries in BRICS pretty soon. So there's more people in the global south and the what we call the east, even though the world is round. So <laughs> there's no east. There's so many more people, billions more people in that economy, and they're off to the races, and they're not going to do anything that our Western governments are trying to do to us. So I live in a a poor working class part of England, thank God. Nobody up here believes what's going on. There's no no signs, there's no COVID, like you'd think it didn't even exist, or even that it never existed, maybe, and there's pockets of that all over the world, right? So maybe like you being connected to some Canadian voices, I've kept advocating really hard, even though I left Canada, because I could see right away that a country like Canada was hardest hit. We are we are what they want. We're the big land mass with all the resources. We've got a prime minister who's right into all this treason with all these banksters. And it's kind of like the last, it's like sitting bowl or the last stand or whatever you want to call it. And But do you know what just happened? They've just dropped all the restrictions. The Quarantine Act now has been unamended to remove the three restrictions. So 
we're winning and we've won in many ways. So what, what happens next? You know, that's a whole other conversation, but I kind of see us have being, we're victorious in this. It's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the poor working class in, in uh, England, and I've noticed the same attitude with the poor working, well, the working class in, in Mexico, where I live and I, I live amongst, you know, the, the, the middle Mexican class. And it's, it's, I've noticed the same thing. It's global where the, the you know, the lower middle working class can see through all uh, of what's going on, where it's the white collar educated upper class. I don't care where it is. Mexico, Europe, they, they really believe the uh, propaganda. Um, you know, if, if you get any further uh, insight on that. Well, no, you hit on it right. So I saw again from the very beginning how they were starting to put in restrictions in different demographic parts of our country, right? And there were hardly any restrictions on poor people. And so I was like, okay, this is definitely about money, right? I come from the affluent middle class. I come from the ruling class in a way in Canada, right? And we worked for that, my family over five or six generations to become a middle class status quo Canadian family, right? You know, father's friends were lawyers and bankers and doctors and all that kind of stuff. And I was so shocked by the wholesale compliance of my social network. Like literally everyone went over and joined this thing. And I was like, okay, they're going after the wealthy people. They're, the the messaging, the stories, the clubs, the jobs, the corporations, that's where they went. They went after the people who they could ensnare in the digital financial co compliance. And they didn't even bother with the poor people. And so now I'm in that category. Right now I'm poor working class. And that's fine. That's fine with me. But they can't catch us in the systems because we're not in it. We're not as banked. We use cash more. Um, and you know that coming living in Mexico, right? So the, the big net that they put into the ocean to grab the big fish were people in my life and my social network. And I thought, God, am I ever lucky? I could have been that mom that complied, did the masking, did all the injections. I could have so easily have been that mom. It's just that I happened to live almost 20 years in and out of Africa and traveling around the world, which woke, which woke me up. So, um, but in answer to your, your question, I guess, um, they, I, I've constantly, for 30 months, I've constantly tried to think, what are they thinking? Like, I don't bother with a lot of the videos and advocacy and stuff that's going on, or especially with the injections, because I've, I've seen that for four years. I knew about that before. I'm constantly trying to figure out, if I was them, what would I be doing next? So I, so we can all be prepared and I can design campaigns around this. So I'm designing, I've got some capital now from some investors to design a campaign to target teenagers in high school and then also uh, to to analyze and to help design better governance models because that was our breakdown our governance model is is not democratic it's not purely democratic and also to really focus on what is going on in our central banking systems and so Canada is the Bank of Canada we need to break into these buildings and understand exactly what these people are doing the Bank of Canada is probably the most liable I would say for everything that has happened because they have approved and allowed the use of the money in our country. And a lot of people don't know anything about the Bank of Canada. They don't know where it is. They don't know who governs it. They don't know what their role is. So that's the trajectory where I'm headed is focusing on capital, getting our movement way more capital. I'm talking millions and millions of dollars. Um, understanding broad-based governance change, and then the role of central banks and the control they have over all of our countries.
before just asking you about the banking aspect, because uh, you mentioned you, I guess you've fled uh, Canada for UK and on the podcast and on my TNT, ra- uh, my TNT radio show, I've been commenting how so many people, I mean, people consult with me fleeing to Mexico. Um, and and I've, I've got some idiots commenting, uh, you know, saying I'm some fraud selling stuff about fleeing to Mexico. I came to Mexico 12 years ago. So anyone, you know, claiming that I'm trying to, uh, I came here 10 years ago and became a Mexican long before any of this stuff is now gaining popularity. Um, but uh, many people are fleeing, especially Canadians. The number one spot is Mexico, Latin America, uh, Uruguay, Paraguay, places like that. I mean, some parts of Europe. I, I just kind of, I have this impression of the UK being maybe not as bad as Canada, but also s- similar in, in, in terms of like the biosecurity control regime, or is my impression uh, in- incorrect? You know, how is, how is UK in terms of fleeing uh, the Great Reset? Right. Okay. Well, I didn't flee to go live in wealthy London, right? That wouldn't have been the right plan. I fled to my, you know, my neighbors have weapons, <laughs> right? Like it's a really good neighborhood to be in. Um, and uh, I have to say that jokingly, but some of them actually do. Um, so the the irony is the this country, and I'm careful about what I say because I'm a guest here, right? I'm not a citizen. Um, the irony is this is where a lot of it is based. And so again, thinking like they think, they're smart not to completely ruin their backyard. You know, so they give the British people some space because this is where where they're all based, a big part of it. And I was in the city of London on the weekend, the the city, right? You know, the financial district, Fleet Street, right? We used to call it Fleet Street. And so they would be very naive to pull, you know, pull these huge uh, scenarios in their own backyards because they have to go to sleep at night in these neighborhoods and they have to do business and stuff. So Trudeau is here and everybody's yelling the B word, Adam, the B-A-S-T word, you know, in public downtown London as he's getting in and out of his black vehicles. So having said that, um, it's also a a much more robust intellectually, um, what's the right word? Deliberation, I guess, would be the word. There's a lot more deliberation, like discussion, mindful, thoughtful discussion around things like equality and governance that I don't know what happened to Canada, but it's really hard to get a conversation like that going in Canada. So that will always be with the British people because they have fought off many, many episodes like this over centuries, right? Whereas Canada, we haven't. We're kind of the the rich privileged cousin that didn't know any better. better. And the other thing is, and maybe you have some thoughts on this. One of the main reasons we left is the culture of Canada is actually changing. And I don't want to be in the new Canada. Sadly, a lot of it. I know a lot of people who want this new stuff. They don't want risky drugs. They don't want that, of course, but they want digital ID. They want digital money. They're just signing up for it. They want to scan their palms at at Whole Foods. They want this gender stuff. One of my oldest friends in the whole world is full into this whole gender stuff. And I'm like, I can't go to her, her part her cocktail parties anymore. Like I just don't want to, right? It's not me. So I'm I also came here searching for something that is more authentic for our family and our values. And old northern England and Scotland and all these places bang on. This is these are my people. And I don't necessarily have to live here 12 months a year for the next 30 years, but it's a very good, safe place to be based right now. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. And uh, I, I would agree with you, as you said, uh, the way that you think is you put yourself in the shoes of these elites and then just kind of think what you would do. And that's what that's what I've been doing from the inception of this 
uh, a podcast. That's how I think. I'm just like thinking, I'm trying to extrapolate. Okay, we got their white papers. We know their plans. This is what they're doing. Uh, you know, if I were them, what would I do, uh, you know, next? And you, you mentioned digital currencies, QR codes. Uh, this is one of my biggest uh, obsessions because I think this is the most imminent threat. You know, if you're a soldier in a war, okay, you think, okay, what's the first, second, third, fourth threat? And you, you kind of focus on the most immediate uh, threats. And it's this cashless society. Um, my, my, you know, my, my guest, uh, you know, I, I, early on, I saw what was going on. And back in May of 2020, I, I contacted Edwin Black, the Jewish historian who talks about eugenics and and he calls it the algorithm ghetto. Like, you know, they put people physically in the Jewish ghettos. Now they're going to put us in these digital algorithm ghettos where they won't even have to come knock on our doors. They just turn everything off and you literally cannot buy bread to eat. You literally, you'll, you, you will literally starve to death. Your neighbors won't help you because um, then they'll also be put in the algorithm ghetto because of all the surveillance and, and everything. It's a social credit system, you know, QR codes. We've got banks now just in the past week. Uh, the White House put out a paper. They're going to be rolling out the, the the U.S. CBDC. India just said by the end of this year they want the digital rupee. Um, I can't even keep, keep track. Everyone's just rolling out these CBDCs now. The the bank of Central Bank of Norway says they're going to use Ethereum as the foundation for their CBDC. So um, I think oh, we're really? on. Really, that's interesting. Yeah, so we're we're on the verge. And so you know, what are your thoughts on? Okay, the the pandemic pandemic seems to be winding down, but they're really pushing us in now to this digital ID QR code um system what's sort of your analysis of of this great reset digital fourth industrial revolution digital id and and, and all of this yeah well i've always seen it as one massive business opportunity right like they will try and they will never stop and they will keep continuing to fence people in and create segregatorial systems that they can control. And that's existed throughout history, right? My ancestors are victims of that and fought against it successfully a couple hundred years ago. That was apartheid, right? So what did the Black people do? They created a way bigger economy. The Black economy is where the money is now. And it was because of apartheid. It was because a small group of rich white people said, you can't have what we have. And so the other 60 million said, well, we don't need to trade with you 5 million and they have a much bigger opportunity. So I think that will happen, but, and it's already happening, but I think that um, also too, we have to be mindful when on our side of the, th the theory and the debate, right? And I'll call it the conspiracy side because we are witnessing a conspiracy. I don't, I'm not mocking us, but there's a lot of benefits to some of the things that I'm seeing develop that we don't want to necessarily criticize because we can use them where we already are. So for example, digital money, I think 80% of transactions are cashless now. I almost never use cash. And so that's fine with me. Some of it like tap, da, da, da. I don't do QR code. I mean, I went to order food to get delivered to my house. I gave up halfway through because I don't do stuff like that. I just go to the grocery store and I talk to people, right? But I still tap a card. Uh, a girlfriend of mine runs a coffee shop and she's alone. So she doesn't use cash because she doesn't want to have to touch the money. And then she has to go to the bank. And I was like, that's really smart, right? For a solo barista, she doesn't use cash. So if we can hold on to all the great stuff that really benefits most of us and not criticize it wholesale, that's picking through. And that's why I said the deliberation of discussion is really important. But it's interesting. You talked about Norway. I believe it's Sweden their digital currency is the e-krona. I don't think it's Norway. Whoever uses the krona. So they're launching an e-krona, but they've made it in their law that it will be an option, that they will have fiat and e. And so 
that's great. Why not do that? I could see lots of benefits of a digital currency, but not forced on us, not segregating choice, just choice, right? And so that's where I think we'll see the most evolved societies, the ones who really have had to think and and advocate their way through centuries of suffering, more part of the world where you come from, or we're going back to Mexico, they're the ones who are really going to innovate the best solutions. They'll keep the best um, and they'll always allow choice. And I don't know about Canada at this point. I know the Canadians will advocate for choice and there's a large number of people so much bigger than the beginning. But you mentioned something that's really important. The neighbors, you know, the neighbors won't help us. The neighbors won't stand up for us. I was arrested twice and assaulted twice in that first year. Not one person who witnessed it around me on a bus, in a store, on the street, and in a shopping mall. Not one Canadian came to my rescue. And again, that's one of the main reasons why I left, because I was like, they're they're not going to fight for me and my kids. They're, they're either going to be too scared, which isn't helping, or they're too afraid. And those are big societal shifts. That could take 5, 10, 15 years to change that mindset. Not one person came to help me in those scenarios. They saw me screaming, being hurt uh, at, <laughs> in public spaces. So... I don't know. There's no, and, and again, it's, but in Canada, there'd be better places and worse places. You know what I mean? I was in Vancouver and Vancouver is completely controlled by globalists. Like we can just see it everywhere. And so it's not the best example to use, but I hope that answers your question. That was a bit rambling. No. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what you, I, I see the same things. And I think it has to do with the rural urban divide. I've had guests on in the past who say, you know, urban cosmopolitan is basically globalist anywhere you go on the planet. That's the concentration of globalism is in the urban areas and more national, traditional, you know, sovereignty is found outside of that in the rural areas. And so I think people will probably be more helpful uh, the further you get out from the cities. And um, and what you said about the digital currencies, my fear, you know, I, I would agree with you. But I, again, I'm thinking like they're thinking um, I feel like their end game is a total cash system. And we've got those two legs, as you said, cash and um digital i just fear that they'll knock the leg uh out of you know one of them and then you know remove cash eventually and then we're stuck with the uh cashless control system that's just my fear but you know up, up until that well, point that, that's a good question like say we did end up cashless and i this is an just a, a, a philosophical question if we did end up cashless or in societies that are already cashless let's say um could there be could there still be civil liberties like just removing the cash doesn't lead to the next step that the government controls your bank account you know that's that's seven steps down the road removing cash like i live without cash mostly and the government doesn't control what i do yet they could put in the control mechanism and still have cash they really wanted to control us they don't need to get rid of cash i think what's really going on and i've listened to the guys who speak uh through the bank of settlements you know bis the bank of international settlements if you listen to that guy the head he's like the big guy he's huge and you hear the things, and Lagarde, Christiane Lagarde, too, right? European Central Bank now, or um, was she that? Yeah, what is she? Yeah, she's European Central Bank now. She was IMF, I guess. Um, and the things they say, like they have to protect their system, they have to protect the money that um, crypto was a threat to their system because they have built it's like a sandbox they have their sandbox and that's payment processing mastercard um mercantile exchanges speculative economy it's a system and it's theirs and they run it so of course they're invested in making sure there's no breakdown or atrophy to it and anything that's new 
like crypto. And I think Brexit is actually what triggered the pandemic. And we can talk about that. I think it was Brexit that did it. Um, is a threat to their entire system, their entire lives. Millions of people who had dedicated 30, 40 years to building up the current Western-dominated U.S.-backed financial system, and they're seeing it being pulled apart. And so they're fighting to preserve it. I think you were referencing Augustin Karstens, the former yes. head of uh, Banxico, the Bank of Mexico. And yeah, th that's fascinating. If you want to tell us about you know your theory of Brexit triggering uh, the pandemic. Yeah, okay. So you go back to February, March, when this was starting to happen, right? And I'm thinking, okay, so this is happening in March and April of 2020. Why wasn't it March and April the year before? Why wasn't it next year? Why wasn't it six months from now? Why was it February, March, April of 2020? And so what happened in that time period? In between January, February, March, what was going on in the world? And one of the most significant events was on February 20th, I believe, Britain left the euro. They, they left the union and they've been in the union for 50 years. A lot of people didn't know that. They've been in since the 70s. But the paperwork was signed. It was like 10 o'clock at night on February 20th. And the banksters didn't see this coming because they thought that Theresa May was going to walk them through and, and hold on to all these financial contracts that they had in place with the banksters. And Britain pulled a move and they put Boris in. They got rid of Theresa. They put Boris in and he did a hard exit out of Brexit to avoid all of these financial contracts that they were liable for. And I think that scared the European Central Banksters. And I think they said, we're going to launch something to screw them. And they're going to break down the Anglosphere, what's called the Anglosphere of the trading system with Britain. So that's New Zealand, Australia, Canada, the United States. It's their big English speaking major trading partners. And we have been the hardest hit by the restrictions. So that theory could be true, right? And that's what Augustine talks about. And that's what Lagarde talks about. Oh, we have to protect ourselves from those shocks. And, and Britain was the cash cow for, for the EU in many ways, right? Yeah, that's uh, you know another you know fascinating new scenario that, that I've just heard. And I'm, I'm gonna keep that in my box because I entertain all these different theories uh, and scenarios that, that help to explain what's going on. And a lot of people that I talk to especially European intellectuals I've had on G&E, Terry Mason of Voltaire Network, um, Guy Matan, Swiss journalist and uh, historian, has. they say that Europe is, seems to be the biggest loser as a result of what's going on of, of COVID-1984. Now, like phase two, this Ukraine war, energy, uh, in, in inflation, uh, you know, food, famines, they say, are, are, are coming. Um, just, uh, it seems like Europe is going to be the, the, the first point, first place area that collapses. I mean, People are saying the EU is going to collapse. Uh, I wish it would. Speaking as an EU, uh, uh, on, you know, just in the, as an inadvertent EU citizen, I don't want to be a EU, EU citizen. I just want to be a Croatian citizen. Uh, your, your thoughts on what's going on, uh, where the Europe is, is, is headed? Yeah, well, the stuff that I see, because I mostly watch European news now, right? Less Canadian. Um, the threat, the provocation and the threat that they're um, they're talking about and grooming in the in the media that Ukraine Ukraine needs longer range missiles to get into Russia. So Putin's not going to stand for that. So are we looking at a major escalation of the war? Like why aren't they talking about peace? Um, the the grooming and the normalization you, you see of the European citizens to believe that they have to do their part and suffer this winter. You know, do your part and suffer 
you're not going to have as much heat and things are going to be more expensive. It's your role as a, as a global citizen to, you know, to, to sacrifice and it's austerity, right? And that's really what the old way of saying what was done to us was called. It used to be called, you know, austerity measures and structural adjustment. And so I think that's what Trudeau is liable for is he welcomed unlawful and illegal financial structural adjustments. Like he brought in this Trojan horse of bankrupting our system so the banksters could rebuild it and reprofit and they couldn't call it what it was. And so they called it a health emergency. And so everybody believed it, right? They never would have, Canadians never would have accepted on the, under any of the terms. So um, we'll see who are those countries. I guess Germany, it looks like, is going to be the most hard hit and their manufacturing. And Olaf Scholz, who's the head of Germany now, he was the one who convinced Merkel to, to accept 850 billion euros to run the pandemic. So he's there now, and it's going to be interesting to see how they turn on him. Sweden just ousted their globalist pre president. She's gone a week ago. They turfed her. So how many Estonia has done theirs, right? How many more? I think it's just going to get going. I don't know if, if Europe will be sort of hungry and cold the way they look at it now. They're going to have to come up with something fast. They, not, they can't actually let the Europeans be cold. I mean, it sounds unbelievable in 2022. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? You're more European than I am. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, I think the, the, the people at the helm, uh, you know, they're not su supremely competent but they're not idiots I, I one thing i i think is clear they're they're total psychopaths uh and they're the sort of people that don't have qualms about mass you know depopulation starting wars that kill millions and so i think they are capable of letting you know europeans millions tens of millions of europeans uh starve and freeze uh, but i also agree with you that there has to be a, you know, a measure to some of our project projections you hear people you know, talking about all kinds of crazy hype, hyped projections in the alternative and in independent media space. So kind of taking things a bit more uh, measured. And uh, I would agree, as you said, that we're seeing, I think we're going to see maybe escalation with, regarding Ukraine. In fact, today, I just, uh, I haven't had time to listen to Putin's speech, but the, the, the cliff notes basically say that he, he announced this morning mobilizing 300,000 uh, more Russian yeah. troops. And Shoigu says that Russia is now officially at war with the collective uh, with nato and the collective west i mean okay guys hello it's been like that for a while but you know thanks for making the official <laughs> announcement uh now and you know uh, uh, you had a few other points i think you know other key issues or things that you're uh thinking about that are pressing on your mind yeah okay well like i said i'm trying to stay focused because there's so many i mean there's a hundred different problems to solve right so the big things I'm going to do over the next year, hopefully, is, is I'm trying to raise $10 million for a fund for Canadian advocates to access because we've never had enough money. And when you give the freedom community, especially the ones who have been doing it for two years and they're tough and they're resilient and they're they're the ones who are getting along with everybody else, give them good amounts of capital. It's amazing what they're going to be able to do because the garden is planted now, right? The average Canadian knows that something is is corrupt. And so it's ripe for that. So capital um, and helping Canadians understand we have to remove this mindset from the government. I guess that's the biggest thing is it's like you've got kids, right? I've got kids. So as parents, we give ourselves and rightly so the authority to govern our children because they're young. And that authority ends when they're old enough to take care of themselves and get a job, right? We're still kind of their parents, but we have to govern them when they're three, four or five. We have to feed them, get out of bed, brush your teeth. 
And so we become used to instructing them how to live because we know better, right? I'm the dad. Yeah. My kids say the most ridiculous things. And I'm like, yeah, well, when you're older, you'll see it's not like that. It's like things my parents said to me, it drives me nuts. And I think that that is what this group of leaders who run the world, they've gotten so used to just giving themselves the authority that they know better because they operate all these systems. And so we're just going to have to make the sacrifices and do what they say because they have that authority. And in many ways, they laugh at us. And that's why I say this. This is the world I come from. I come from the ruling class and I've been around social environments all my life where where the people in those environments would laugh at the other people, the people with less power, the people who were poor. It's not uncommon, right? We know better. We've got more. We've got the power. We can do what we want. We have more freedom. We've got land, money, whatever, right? And so we have to change that. We have to somehow make that completely socially unacceptable, that we do not want a world where a small group of people wrongly believe they have the authority to manipulate other people's lives. If we could actually crack that nut, then all of the other problems would go away because we will be looking, we will be restructuring the thought process of society itself. And so you see that in pockets, right? You see these communities that are caring for each other and much more holistic and they, they don't have any problems. People are making money. We just need that on a larger scale. And, and I, I think the collapsing of globalization itself that we are witnessing to now We'll do that and we'll go back to more of a more local, provincial, state, national model where countries take care of themselves and they can be stewards of good behavior to other countries the way it used to be. But let's let let the countries take care of themselves again. That was a good model to begin with. So I'm grateful for this that, that happened despite the pain and the suffering. And I wish that people hadn't been hurt or killed or harmed. But thank God it happened because if we just kept struggling for another 20 years with this abusive world with so many more people falling into poverty, when would we have stopped it? At least now it's kind of smashed on the kitchen floor and everybody's seeing how broken it is. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, one of your projects, as you just mentioned, raising capital for freedom fighters, I think that's uh, very good. And I've made it a point in the past. Um, I've, you know, money it's it's difficult to part ways with with money but i've supported um organizations like robert kennedy's children's health defense and um Del big trees um i can because i saw them in the field having successes in the courts against you know cdc big pharma and so i think it's good to support people like that that are making good use of of funds uh, pushing yeah. back against tyranny that's affecting you know my, myself and my family and, and and all of us and so organizations like that uh, as you said that can make use of these funds um i you know brian festa i interviewed on my tnt show of we the patriots um you know pe other people that are fighting uh, in the courts and so it's it's and in and, and, and in other uh ways and so you you do sound optimistic maybe to get your thoughts on on the road ahead because i interview people who are very um ultra black filled others that are middle of the road others that are have more hope that like the worst is uh behind us you know the, 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 again there's just you kind of reference this you know road ahead some are saying you know freezing winter total famine food collapse i had michael yawn on combat correspondent who says in 2023 24 we're gonna see a global holodomor you know famine uh you know any further thoughts on 
you know, what, what uh, you know, 2023 might look like. Yeah, well, global holiday more. That's interesting. Um, I think that again, you know, as 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 voices of justice, we especially people like you and I that do a lot of work online in small little bubbles like this, right? Um, I can spend all day just in my house on the computer. The more that we can get out, and this is why I would say to people, travel and travel internationally and insert ourselves into these pockets of the world that we're concerned about, whatever. I think a lot of the times we see, well, you know what, that's actually not that bad. It's not really that bad. And the people are a lot more brave and advocating for themselves than we think they are. It's that shock news headline that we'll see, right? So the that's probably why I'm so optimistic. Like from day one, I was surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people every week because I started the protest marches and led them. I was never alone. I was never lonely. If anything, it was the opposite. And so I, the gift that I was given by that was seeing millions of Canadians rise up and protect themselves. And there I was, front row seat to that stadium every single day. And I still am. 30 months later, I watch it all happening right in front of me. It would be it would be impossible not to be optimistic. I mean, the smallest little thing from somebody doing something with a homeschool child and saying no to medical tyranny to the story. I don't know if you heard about this. This Amber Alert went off 20, 48 hours ago. The police basically kidnapped and arrested a woman who said no to medical intervention in a hospital. And they flipped it and they, they said she's kidnapping her child. And the number of people that have gotten involved with this and are advocating, that's amazing. That's the human spirit, you know, rising. So I'm also quite a realist, though. I've lived and worked in all over Africa for 11 years and seen many wars and genocides and stuff. And that stuff happens all the time, every day, every month, every year. It's never going to go away. Will there be a Holomador? Maybe there will be. Will people know about it? Maybe not. There's so much tragedy. People, people don't even talk about the war in Yemen. I mean, think how long that's and brutal that's been, right? So I choose to focus on the positive because if I didn't, I don't think I could do the work I do. I was really suffering from PTSD when I left Canada. It took me about three months to get my my mojo back again because of everything that had happened to me. And I thought, I'm not useful to anybody if I'm in bed feeling miserable. So I screen a lot of it out because it hurts my soul. It hurts my spirit. It it saddens me. And so I choose to not look at it because I need that energy to go and help a bunch of moms today who are going to go out and protect Canadian children. And that's all I've got time for, right? I also have to live my life and go to the grocery store and just joined a gym. I want to get fit again and not think that that is a luxury in the time of COVID. No, all those things have to happen for us. Yeah, I would, uh, I'm, always, I'm always a glass half full person. Yeah, and I I would uh, agree. There are a lot of the people commenting on the different social media, you know, uh, that do podcasts and content is there. You know, maybe a portion they're huddled in their in their homes in the online sphere. And as you mentioned, I'm, I, I travel as well, and so the more you get out, the less sort of doom uh, things do seem as as you get out uh, and about and just shut off the computer for a while. And a lot of this. The, the doom scrolling, right? The the doom casting. Um, but on the other hand, you know, with good measure, as I do go out and about, I do, I can see slowly some of these control systems uh, coming in, uh, unfortunately. Maybe to just get your thought, uh, if you have any thought just in passing on, on, on the passing of the Queen and the ascent of King Charles uh, III, who only, I think, a year or two ago said, we need a global military campaign you know marshall plan 
Uh, I just read that basically uh, of the elites taking over <laughs> the world. And any thoughts on the passing of the queen? Yeah, and and he did say that. So he is what I would say in that group of people who has given himself the authority his whole life, right, to to believe that that they get to decide how the rest of us live. What we need is this plan that's going to do this. It's like, I can't imagine imposing my will on the rest of the world, right? I would I would never be able to be effective in that sense because it would just take too long to like get everybody to say, you know, their opinion. So yeah, he's, but it's, it's really interesting because there is, and I don't know much about this and I'm not a monarchist, but I don't like to criticize anybody, to be honest. There's legal obligations in terms of him being the crown now, and he has to divest himself of certain uh, certain activities. Like, I don't think he's going to be involved with environmental work anymore. There's a certain line. There's a, a protocol that he has to maneuver now because he's the king. Um, and so I don't know what is he just going to be like what she did and just be really nice and travel all over and whatever, or is he actually going to go into high gear and use his influence? I would say that it will probably be more of the latter. He's already visited Canada before he was the King. um, And he's already talking about Commonwealth countries. He's one of the people that is sort of self self tasked with making sure this economy is robust and that there is a ton of money coming into the hands of all of these people in these systems. I mean, you should have seen the people in London this weekend because I was there and all the money they spent, like, you know, the royalty is a cash cow and it's huge for Britain and they know that. And that's why they do things so ceremoniously is it's really good for the economy. So my thoughts on the queen is it's pretty convenient that she passed away 10 hours from London in the middle of nowhere where no one could see her because she's on her private estate. And I always wondered about that. How convenient was that, that, that she passed away at Sandringham, right? It wasn't like in a taxi on the way home, right? Most people, they do pass away like that. So was that part of the plan? Was she removed in a way? And even Prince Harry mentioned something like that in an interview in, in America. He was worried about her. What, why was he saying those things? She needs to have people around her to protect her. And then the final thing, and I'll say this, not like I said, I don't go into the big conspiracy theories, but corona means crown. Like that's what it means in Latin. And so if you look through the, the this whole scenario through the lens of that, it's these big systems, these secret societies, and it's this whole language around this maybe it is all connected and so we won't know that until the next five years go by how are we going to have a different world without hrh which is what i call her and specifically how is it going to affect canada like will charles be on our money now will all of the lawsuits instead of saying her majesty the crown it's his majesty are we just going to fold them into the system or is it actually time to, to break down the monarchy the way the European monarchies have done, right? They've really lessened their role almost to, to the fact that you don't even know they're there anymore. But I don't think Britain will do that because it's this huge driver of the economy. And at the moment that she died right now, the country is very weak. You know, it's weak economically, it's weak politically, Liz Trust, brand new prime minister, it's just way too much up in the air. So I don't think they will do anything that's not just going to sort of maintain the status quo for the next year. But yeah, it's been, bizarre. It's still bizarre. I feel like I've been thrown back 200 years listening to things on this TV, like King Charles Third. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, interesting times. And I've been calling it the crown virus uh, as well for uh, a, a while. And maybe it just go back. Um, 
as you said, you've studied, I think, international relations like myself. And uh, you, you said you've been writing on the end of um, empire. I've been looking at the decline of American or Western empire for decades. And I've chatted with some of the great thinkers on this subject right here. And this podcast, Johann Galtung, Morris Berman, and many others. Um, and uh, just to get any further thought on how you see this decline of the Western world, uh, you know, the Anglo-American sphere, the, the five eyes, you know, you, you mentioned Australia, New Zealand. Yep uh uk canada uh usa it seems those countries in particular are really declining culturally economically and politically they're becoming authoritarian you know this usually happens in the decline and then you mentioned the east sort of rising we had the meeting uh of the seo some say which may have been the, the biggest ever seo meeting erdogan xi jinping modi uh even the pope wanted in on the action uh, and so, you know, and, and any further thoughts on the decline of the West, the rise of, as you said, BRICS plus multipolar world, uh, and you know how far, how far, how things, how the East and West might look in the next, in the coming years. Well, this is what I think could happen, and this is what I want to happen, is that the 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 kind of the corruption and the bastardization of the West that declines. Because the West still has some of the best ideological frameworks for most people in the world to benefit from, you know, free speech. Like, who doesn't want to benefit from free speech? So it, it's like anything, just as something negative is happening, something as positive is happening. So I think this corrupt part of Western society, this controlled system where everybody, you know, is a slave to the, the cartels, I think that is collapsing, that is going into atrophy. But I see a whole new emergence happening in these Western countries. Like here, there's a huge move back to manufacturing and populism and farming and whatnot, British the British people say rediscovering their nationhood and their their power as a Western country that doesn't abuse other countries. So it's like we were talking about before. We don't necessarily have to suffer because we go digital money, right? The suffering doesn't have to come with the package. And so many of us have been sold that. Well, it's just the way it works. China manufactures everything so you can't manufacture t-shirts. Well, no, it's not just the way it works. So here's an example that may seem trite, but I don't think it is. I actually think it's poignant. Did you follow the story about what is happening with Kanye West? Yeah, that he wanted to, he terminated his contract with, with Gap, I think. He's decoupling from China, no? Yeah, and Adidas. So he announced it with Adidas too. So I think he's he's experiencing a little bit of what Trump was talking about, which is he's starting to question, why do we have to do things in this way in America? We're America. Why do we have to have you know huge um, contracts in place with a country on the other side of the world? That doesn't make sense. And so he's buying factories in San Francisco to manufacture his brand. And like I said, that may seem trite because it's Kanye West and I would never buy his stuff and it's very expensive and it's a small little niche market. But he's a kid from the street. He's a black kid from the street that speaks American free speech language. And he's ringing an alarm bell right now. And those are huge companies and contracts. So over the next year, I see someone like Kanye West having incredible influence in America in a positive way to, to pull out the rot of the American system and, and build, build back in and allow all of the good, beautiful, wonderful stuff to flourish again that the rest of the world does benefit from. Like all the good stuff that we see in the TV commercials or whatever. So so I see those two things happening. Not every country is going to rebuild itself at the same pace. Like Canada will probably be way behind America because we don't have that spirit. 
and I don't know if the Canadians will allow themselves to to roll up their sleeves and and be dissenting. It's not really in our culture to dissent, right? Whereas America, it's all about dissent. So um, same thing with Britain, maybe even France too, but there's a huge movement to just do things local, use cash, grow your own food. And after four or five years of that, it will actually start to have impact. You know, the grow your own food thing seems impossible. Like, oh, how are we all going to grow our own food? But even if if this movement just changed 15 to 25% of the food system and distribution in the United Kingdom, that's huge. So I, I see that happening. And that's why I say this is a massive business opportunity for everyone in the world to think, okay, how can I get in on this new freedom, this new democracy? Because the average person who wants to live and and have, you know, cohabitat on the street and buy and sell and do business and sit in the cubicle and school bus or whatever, power walks in the park with the moms. 99.9% of us want good things and we we want to behave well as, as citizens. Most of us are on that path, right? And just a, it's just a matter of reconnecting all the wires, I think, uh, and encouraging people to believe in the positive, encouraging them to just get out of the house and just do one little thing tiny little thing, no matter what it is, just go out and do something in your community, not only to better the community, but it actually empowers the person themselves. And I learned that when I started the marches, I was like, holy shit, I never knew that so many people would follow me and listen to my ideas. And now nobody can shut me up because I was like, there's a market out there for a a, a dissenting mom in a minivan who believes in a better world. And I was told for decades that what I believed in was not possible and it is possible. And I will never believe that lie again. Yeah. You, you almost said referring to Kanye, uh, he'll help us build back better. You know, why not? We can co co-opt that, that term. Uh, and so, um, yeah. And as you said, sometimes I, I get amazed the number of people, I guess, that listen to the podcast or listen to me. And it's just like, they're all, when I post news stories, they're like solutions. Well, no one has all of the answers. I'm just, my point here is I'm just trying to observe what's going on. You want solutions? Start with yourself, start a channel. Uh, as you say, uh, you know, to take that first step uh, out the door. Any, um, you know, any other thoughts, any final thoughts uh, for us? Yeah, well, what you just said is probably a good place to finish it, right? And because I'm a TV producer, the knowing that the media was colluding at the very beginning is what inspired me to speak out because I knew that people were being lied to the more people can advocate for better media and whether it's just the local radio station, get involved, the local TV station, whatever, because when we have a good free press that is publishing the truth, then all a lot of these problems go away and take care of themselves. It's the fact that we're being lied to by massive propaganda media corporations and shareholders. They're all committing crimes basically, right? So that's accessible because everyone lives in a community where they can access some form of media from a newspaper to a radio station, like I said, or a podcast. Um, Raising some money for somebody is a great thing. If somebody was to raise money for you or send you a donation or buy my t-shirts or whatever, and that's a gift, that's a pretty easy thing for some people to do is organize and raise money. I'm going to try and raise 10 million. Like I said, I don't know how long that will take me, but I could probably do nothing else for the next year and raise all that money. And then to have that money for justice, it doesn't take that long. Like there, when we raised 10 million for the convoy, the trucker convoy, I think in 30 days we raised 10 million. Some of the money that came in was 10, 20, $30,000 donations from one person or one company. Um, that's a really easy thing for people to do. So yeah, the media, 
capital. Most of the things I'm focusing on, get involved with local government, raise some money, give it to someone who is having impact, not just someone who's complaining, someone who is actually having impact, get behind them. Um, and then um, finally, like I said, if people want to do this, figure out this banking system that, you, that we're all living under, because that's what this is all about. And all corruption is about one thing, and that's money. And we change the money, we change our power around the money, then we can just turn the other way and walk away from most of this stuff. Yes, uh, a lot of great uh, points. And if you want, um, again, I I'll include all of the links in the description, but I think you're a bit all over the place. you got a, a, a different projects. If you want to tell us, you know, what are the best websites, uh, the best projects uh, that you're working on, you've got a book as well, and uh, the best ways to support you. Okay, great. Well, I just have a few ways to find me. So everything is on my website from my daily videos to the products I sell. So that's healthjusticetees.com. And I, the site works well. I process uh, um, orders every day, you know, e-transfer in Canada, PayPal cards. Um, so a lot of people just make financial donations. They don't necessarily want the t-shirts or the books. That's fine. Um, and then my Facebook page I've used for years, and there's a ton of stuff there. That is a real evidence bundle. And there's a lot of rich resources on my Facebook page. So that's Susan Stanfield, just my name, my main Facebook page. That's all I use. And then finally, I put stuff on Instagram. A lot of women are there. So that Instagram is at health and justice. So those are my three online channels, essentially. If people are people really want to support what I'm doing, and they, I'll, I'll put this out there. This is my first ask it's kind of embarrassing if somebody wants to make a, a sizable contribution um i have an uh basically a, a capital raise um presentation that i'm sending out now it's a 20-page presentation and i've had two bites so i'm i'm going to try and finance what i'm doing over the next year in a different way not so much selling my products but more having my own personal raise in place that i would love to hear from somebody and they can look at the my presentation and see i've got sort of five core campaigns that I want to work on and I need money to support myself to run those campaigns. Um, but there's about 12 of them all together. And some of them are really little. I'm going to try and fix a mural in London, you know, but I, I'm going to need money to do that. So if anybody wants to get involved with what I'm doing, my website is the best place, healthjusticetees.com. My contacts are there too. So people can email me. You're lucky you're still on PayPal. I got taken off a few months ago. And I was just reading this morning, uh, I guess this big website, Daily Skeptic, which I think is based in the UK. Um, I was just looking at a clip from G GB News that uh, apparently they just got the platform uh, from PayPal uh, as well. But again, healthjusticetees.com links will be in the, uh, the description. And, uh, you know, keep up the great uh, work, Susan. And thank you for coming on Geopolitics and Empire. Yeah, it's an honor. Thank you for your time. And goodbye, everyone. Thanks for watching. Please share, please share the video. The videos can really help a lot of people, especially someone like me who's got a positive attitude, because there's a lot of people who are, they're really suffering emotionally right now, and we, we have to help them. I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes, Facebook restricts our page, Reddit and Twitter take down posts, and after the Associated Press mentioned Geopolitics and Empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our Pro account. 
The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.